Good morning. Well, welcome to you. If you are new here this morning, I'm going to be talking about something which is um, perhaps a little bit in-house, because I'm going to be talking about deacons, uh, the return of the deacon. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, I should have superimposed somebody's face. Should have imposed Carlos's face over Princess Leia. Uh, <laughs> uh, if you are doing our bread Bible reading, and if you haven't got one of these journals, they are available for a fiver uh, where you came in. You would have on Friday started reading the Book of Acts, and this morning we are in the Book of Acts. We actually taught through the Book of Acts five years ago, a series called Spirit Empowered Mission, and looked at some of these things. Uh, five years ago when we did that, but I'm sure nobody can remember what I preached five years ago, so <laughs> that's fine. So we're going to be in Acts, Acts chapter 6, and um, Acts chapter 6 is the, sorry Grace, I just pushed you that. Acts 6 marks the end of the first chapter of the first church. First five chapters of the book of Acts tell us about the church gathering in Jerusalem, the disciples of Jesus waiting in Jerusalem after Jesus' Return to glory, it says in Acts 1, chapter 1, verse 1, uh, Luke, who's writing it to his friend Theophilus, says, in my previous book, the Gospel of Luke, I told you about what Jesus began to do. And then the book of Acts gives a 30-year history of what happens in the first years of the church. And the first five chapters of Acts are about the church in Jerusalem. And then halfway through chapter 6 of the book of Acts, the church breaks out of the geographical confines of Jerusalem because of actually persecution, pushes believers out of Jerusalem. And then from the middle of the book of, uh, second, middle of chapter 6 of the book of Acts, suddenly the church expands and we see the church going to the ends of the earth. But as we read the first five and a half chapters of the book of Acts, what we see is a community, a Christian community, who've been transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Day of Pentecost... The power of God has fallen on those first believers. They've been transformed by this encounter with God. Jesus has returned to his Father's glory, but the Holy Spirit is poured out upon the people. And there's an immediate response. There's an immediate response in terms of numerical growth. Peter stands up and proclaims the gospel of Jesus Christ, and 3,000 people respond in faith, get baptized on that uh, Pentecost Sunday. And this is a church which then, as well as growing fast, demonstrates the power of God at work. There are all kinds of signs and wonders, miracles that are taking place as God's power is displayed in and through this people. And it's not only a church which grows rapidly in terms of numerical growth, but there's also a depth to who they are. And uh, we read these wonderful descriptions of that church being a people who were devoted, devoted to one another, devoted to the teaching, devoted to breaking of bread, devoted to prayer. And it's also a people who are experiencing, so experiencing much favor, much evidence of God's blessing, but also experiencing real opposition and difficulty. And so this is a group of people who are also characterized by boldness, that in the face of opposition and persecution, they keep proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. So the, the, the picture of the church, which is painted for us in the first five chapters of the book of Acts, is for us something of a model. This is something of what church should look like. There's also a real challenge in the description of the church in those chapters because what they were experiencing can often feel very different from what we experience. And so it's a challenge for us in terms of how we are responding to God and what we're trusting him for. 
And there's also a sense, certainly for me, in which what is described in these first chapters of Acts is, gives us a, a, something of a dream, dreaming of what church life could be like, uh, where we see the power of God operating in all kinds of amazing ways, where we see many more people finding faith in Christ, getting baptized, where there really is a depth of devotion, a seriousness of discipleship being displayed. It's the kind of church that I dream of us increasingly being. And so as we look at this church, this first church, we see what looks in many ways to be a model example of a church, but we see it's not a perfect community. So Acts 4, verse 34, it says, There is no needy person among them. One of the characteristics of this first church was how they served one another. Anybody who was poor amongst them, the others helped. But then we get to chapter 6, verse 1, and it says, The Hellenistic Jews, those are the Jews who had adopted Greek language and Greek culture. The Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews, those Jews who were still speaking Hebrew and had a more traditional way of life, because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So this now large company of people. In that company of people, there are a number of widows who need particular care, and there's a a cultural divide forming. The the, the Greek-speaking widows are being overlooked uh, by the Hebrew-speaking members of this church. And we get so what we see in this passage we're going to look at today is that uh, there's a, a stress upon the pastoral and administrative systems of the church. And the solution that's described in this passage is a solution which fixes the admin problem, fixes the pastoral problem, and also fixes the missional problem because care for the flock results in what they do, and then there is ongoing growth of the church as well. And in this, we see a description of what deacons are meant to help to build in the life of a church. Okay, so let's read the passage. Acts 6. Verses 1 to 7. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve, that's the twelve apostles, gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread... The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. The situation is, as I've described it, the church has grown rapidly. There are needy people who joined the congregation, and one very practical need was the need for food. A couple of weeks ago, when we were teaching through the Lord's Prayer, I was teaching on the part of the Lord's Prayer where Jesus taught us to pray, give us this daily bread, and trying to show you how That was a real prayer because so many people in that culture would have experienced genuine hunger. This was a a real prayer for literal food. And in this context, this first church, some members of the church, some of these widows are going hungry. They do not have enough food. And their prayer is, give us this day our daily bread. And the complaint arises, there is food in this community, but we're being overlooked. It's not coming our way. 
And this seems to have been because of some cultural diversity. They were, the church was all Jewish at this point. Everybody was Jewish, but there was this cultural divide between those who were Hebraic-speaking Jews and those who were Greek-speaking Jews. And that led to some unfairness which needed a solution. What was needed was some people who could fix the problem, some people who could get involved and make sure that this group of widows was not overlooked, but the church community was functioning as it should. They needed people who could help administratively and pastorally and missionally because the growth of the church was not meant to be stopped, but the care of those who were being overlooked needed to be fixed. And what happens is they appoint these seven people who uh, are a model for deacon-type ministry. And there are lessons from how we can, we can learn from how they address this problem and from those who were appointed to this position. So, first thing we see is that there was an increase in mission. The problem had been caused, in a sense, by the church growing rapidly. There were lots of people being added. That's why there was now this needy group of widows who needed help. And in that kind of situation, it's easy to say, let's stop getting new people in. Let's just focus on the people that we have. And over the years in church life, I've heard people say that kind of thing. Let's stop focusing so much on those who are outside the church. Let's just focus on those who are here already and make sure they're properly looked after. And that can come from a, actually from a good place in terms of wanting to care for people, but it misses the point because the church is meant to be a missionary movement. We are called to go to the ends of the earth making Jesus known. So if you are here, if you're new, if you're here for the first time this morning, you're really, really welcome. It's great that you're here and we want lots of other new people to be joining us week by week. That's what we're about. Uh, ministry of the Word is meant to result in spread of the Word. That's what we see here. The apostles say we mustn't neglect the ministry of the Word. And when they fix the problem, what happens is the spread of the Word. That fixing the problem actually leads to more people coming in. The, uh, the metaphor, the image we often use for this is to think of the church as a ship and that the church is not meant to be a cruise liner. I know some of our members are going off on a cruise next week. I hope you have a lovely time. Uh, going up into the Baltic or something in February. <laughs> Doesn't sound ideal. I'd rather be going to the Bahamas. But anyway, I hope you have an awesome time out there, guys. But while you're on your cruise ship, enjoying yourselves, remember that the church is not a cruise ship. The church, the church is a battleship, which is probably, probably more useful in the Baltic than <laughs> what you're going on. So... We're called on mission, and here at Gateway, we do want to grow, and we've been so blessed since we came back into this building in January and uh, relaunched in two congregations, a congregation here and a congregation down at 502 Ashley Road, that our meetings have been full Sunday by Sunday the last few weeks. That's great. We want that kind of problem, starting to think about what do we do, what do we do next? Do we start another service? Do we look at starting another congregation? We want those kind of problems because we want to see more of God's missional favor upon us, and we're praying that for every Jesus-loving, gospel-preaching church in town, that they would see that same kind of favor. Uh, this past week, I was with Peter Baker from Lansdowne Church. They have seen a real breakthrough in reaching the Iranian community, which is a growing community in Bournemouth. They've now got a, a fellowship of 100 Iranians at Lansdowne. Wow. They've got, got 48 Iranians going through the Alpha course at the moment. Wow. We want to see more of that kind of stuff. Uh, I was talking to my friend Andy Johnson, who leads King's Community Church in Hedge End, Southampton, 
this past week, and uh, they've seen remarkable blessing. They're up to about 1,000 people now on Sundays. He said the police were out last week complaining because they did two services, and their first service is overrun, which meant that people coming in and people coming out caused gridlock throughout Hedge End, and the, <laughs> and the police were not happy, but thought, yes, that is fantastic. If the traffic jams on Alder Road were not because of gas leaks or because of roadworks, but because there are too many of us, that's what we're after. So, there was an increase in mission. Secondly, there was an increase in organization. They needed some systems put in place to serve these needy widows. And here at Gateway, we spend an incredible amount of time trying to get our systems working as well as we can. And to do that, we need help. Churches need gifted people who can help get the systems working as they should. And what we see in this story is that the apostles are clear about their job description. They say, our primary responsibility is the ministry of the word. We're called to pray, we're called to minister the word. That's what we're called to do. And that means that although there is a need we recognize, it cannot be our responsibility to be the ones who make it happen. We identify the need, we know it needs to get fixed, but we can't, we can't do that and stay faithful to our call. And so we need some other people to help us. And so let's find some other people to help us. We need to, our organization needs to start to catch up with where we've got to in terms of our, 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 our growth and the size we are as a church. And, and that's true for us as well. We need gifted people who can help us make sure that we're as organized as we need to be with the different things that, the different needs that we have. Next thing we see then is that there was an increase in the number of leaders. The solution to the problem Needy widows was found by increasing the number of people who were taking responsibility. Mission needs leaders. The problem isn't the harvest, but it's the lack of laborers. Jesus said, pray for laborers to go into the harvest. The harvest is white, and, uh, is white ready for harvest. What you need is more laborers. And for community life, church life to function as it should, we need people who are able to give a lead. In the community, we need people who are able to help build community. We need people who are able to help shepherd the sheep, the flock, the congregation. And that's what these seven who were appointed did. They were appointed to do what maybe looked primarily an administrative task, getting these widows fed. But actually, it wasn't just admin. It was deeply pastoral. It was about caring, loving these widows, these people in need, and bringing unity in a congregation where there is potential for division between these different cultural groups. And it was about mission because having done that enabled the church to keep on reaching the lost and keep on growing. More people took on more responsibility. And so another focus that we have here is to always be looking to see people emerge in leadership. That's a very intentional focus for us to see people take on leadership responsibility in church life. And there are lots of ways in which we do that. Uh, one thing that we've done for the last few years is that Grace and I run something we call a ministry cohort where we get people in our home and month by month uh, meet together, eat together. There's homework given to the people who are on the cohort. They have to read stuff, have to write assignments and uh, just trying to raise the level of leadership responsibility amongst us. We finished our last cohort in December and I thought it might just be good to acknowledge those in the room who were on that, so that you know that they survived 12 months of uh, being with Grace and me, having to work pretty hard to, to do the stuff. Uh, a few of them are on here. Gordon and Myrna Simpson did it, but they're now in Zimbabwe, uh, so they can't, they can't stand up. And uh, Tom Pratt did it, but he's off skiing this weekend. 
but the others, if you're here, you can stand up and we give you a round of applause. Toby and Beth Kretschmeyer. <coughs> it's Toby. Uh, Adam and Becky Carrier. Chris and Becky Clark. <laughs> Becky's got COVID, so she's not here this morning. Uh, Jen Webb. <laughs> and Hannah Pavey. Out with the youth. <laughs> so we're always looking to intent intentionally looking to try and raise the leadership level amongst us. The next thing is that there is an increase in the levels of faith. One of the interesting things about these people who are named is the little bit of description. We don't get much, but it says they chose Stephen, a man full of faith. And of course, that becomes very important because the next part of the story is that Stephen is killed because of his faith, but he faithfully goes to his, his death. He's the first Christian martyr. And after his death, that's when the church then breaks out of Jerusalem and starts going to the ends of the earth. It's, it's Stephen's faith even in his death, which leads to the church expanding throughout the nations. He's a man of faith, a man of faith. And we need people who have faith. That's what we look for, looking, looking for people who've got that spark of faith about them, who help stir faith in others. When it says they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, I imagine they think, this is a guy who helps speak faith into others. This is a, perhaps a situation where faith is beginning to seep away a little bit because there's this need which isn't being met and maybe the group who are being overlooked and not cared for as they should, maybe their faith is beginning to, to seep away because they think this isn't really working as we thought it should. And Stephen comes in and he's a man of faith who I guess would have spoken faith and would have raised everybody's faith again. And we're looking for those kind of people, faith-filled people who speak faith to others, faith, faith is infectious. We can speak cynicism and cause faith to drain away, or we can speak faith to one another and have faith grow. That's what we're looking for. And then there was an increase in them being spirit-led. Stephen and the others were people full of the Holy Spirit. We're looking for people full of the Holy Spirit. See, deacons are not just admin people. They are spiritual people. We're looking for people to be full of the Holy Spirit. Of course, that's true for all of us. We want all of us to have an ongoing, frequent encounter with God by His Holy Spirit. It's why we do things like we're doing this afternoon, our worship time this afternoon. Worship night afternoon thing, five o'clock, not really night, but you know what I mean. Our worship <laughs> night in the afternoon. Why we do it is to put ourselves in a place where we are able we're in a position to receive again from God, to encounter, be encountered by God in a fresh way, to pray for one another. There's no God's Holy Spirit. It's why at the end of the service we'll be saying, if you want to be prayed for, go and see the prayer team over here because we expect, look for people to have an encounter with God by His Holy Spirit. We want to be spiritual people. And these people who were appointed to help to fix an admin problem were spiritual people who helped raise the spiritual water level in the church. And then the last thing we see from this is there was the consequence of all this was an increase in what really could be described as hospitality. People got fed, people got cared for. That's hospitality. And hospitality is key to community. Hospitality begins with our heart attitude, that our hearts are open to other people. And it's then worked out in terms of how we live. It's worked out in having open hearts, which lead to open homes, having people 
around serving, feeding, caring for people. It affects how we should think about what we do on a Sunday morning. As If you're a member of the church, you come in this place, you're not just coming into a building for a meeting, you're coming into what is, our, is a home for us. And we need to think of it in that terms, that if you're new here this morning, I hope you feel some kind of homely welcome amongst us. If you're a member of this church, think about this, this space as your front room. How would you act if you had people, guests, come into your front room? How would you treat them? How would you show care for them? How would you show hospitality to them? Think with that kind of attitude as you come into this place. Now, the result of all this was a commitment to community, a commitment to to quality, caring for these widows, also led to, and was connected to, a commitment to mission. Uh, a, a, a commitment to quantity. They cared better and more people were added in. That's a beautiful dynamic. It's not a zero-sum game. It's not the more people come in, the less you'll be cared for. The more you're cared for, the less people should come in. No, more care and more people. That's beautiful. And that happened because they appointed these seven people who helped make that happen. Now, we want to recognize some deacons amongst us who will help us in this, these kind of areas. We, we've had deacons before. We used to annually recognize, appoint, pray for those who were going to be serving as deacons for the coming, coming 12 months. That slipped during the pandemic. Everything was obviously up in the air during the pandemic, and that sequence of doing things slipped, and we were all our structures and systems were different through the pandemic. And the recognition of deacons got lost in that season. And we now want to set that right and get back into an annual pattern of speaking about deacons, recognizing them, and praying for them. So that's what this morning is about. So let me give you a little bit more about what we understand deacons to do. In Acts chapter 6, of course, these people are not actually described as deacons, but they give us a, a model for what deacons are like and what they do. We, we learn more about deacons from some other scriptures. Deacon is a Greek word which basically just means servant. Now, all Christians are called to serve, but some, like these seven, are recognized as having a particular contribution and responsibility that they make in church life. And so the role of deacon is identified as an office, as a particular role in, church, in churches. We see this in, in, the first les- in the letter to the Philippians, where the, the greeting to the church from the Apostle Paul is this, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers, another word for elders, and the deacons. It's a greeting... We greet you, the whole church, and we greet the elders, and we greet the deacons. There are these, the, the, these two offices of the elders and the deacons. And one of our commitments here at Gateway is we try to follow the New Testament pattern of church ministry and life, and we generally prefer to use Bible terms. So we can just, we do talk about, we've got lots of people leading in all kinds of areas, but we like to use Bible terms and and try and copy the biblical examples. So we do have elders, and we believe that we should have deacons because we see this in the Scripture. And what we want to do is to identify those who are serving as deacons, to recognize them, and to pray for them so that they might be authorized more fully in God to function in the way that they already are, so that we would be strengthened in our mission. The Scripture tells us the kind of people who should be deacons. First Timothy 3 gives some character 
qualifications for deacons. Deacons are to be worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine and not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested, and then if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. These character qualifications for deacons are actually very similar to the qualifications that are given for elders, the kind of character qualifications. And of course, they're actually character qualifications that we'd want for every member of the church. We want every member of the church to be able to tick this list off in terms of how we are living with godly character before God. But if you're going to serve as an elder, if you're going to serve as a deacon, it has to be proven, a proven character and a genuineness of faith. And then this scripture in 1 Timothy very beautifully says what this generates. 1 Timothy 3.13, those who have served well as deacons gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. There's a, a, a confidence that should come in those who've served in this role because of how they serve. Now, lots of people in Gateway are qualified on the basis of those character requirements huge swathe of our membership is qualified on the basis of character requirements. And all kinds of people at Gateway are leading and serving in different kinds of areas of church life. Uh, so what is it that identifies the deacons rather than just any other church member? A few things to help us. First thing is deacons have a particular role in supporting the ministry of the elders. We see that in Acts 6, that the, the role of those who were appointed was to stop the apostles getting bogged down in the practicalities. The, the apostles said, we need to give ourselves to the ministry of the word and to prayer, and we need some other people to help us then to serve and care for these poor widows. Now, now here at Gateway, we, the elders here, are not, uh, not afraid of getting involved in the practicalities. Actually, it's amazing how much time we spend doing that. Uh, just this past week, I've spent probably far too much time uh, moving chairs, emptying the baptistry, picking up rubbish. Rich and I spent a couple of hours trying to fix a parcel box to the office wall. That was fun. Definitely beyond our competency zone. Um, but, and we are very happy to do that kind of stuff. But of course, if that's what we end up doing all the time, we're shortchanging you in terms of what we're called to do, which is to minister the word of God to you. Deacons help the elders to minister the word. Second thing that deacons do is that they are particularly recognized as mercy ministers. In Acts 6, the issue was a particular group not being cared for, and deacons are to help pastor the church. That's what they do here in this story in Acts 6, and that's what we see through the history of the church, deacons being those who are recognized to help get involved in people's lives, to, to raise the care level in a church. The third thing is that Deacons are leading servants. Deacon means servant. All Christians are called to serve. And uh, pretty much all of you who are members of the church are serving in some practical way in church life, which is great. But there are some who are, have a particular leading role in their service, a particular ability to minister in particular areas to particular people. And those who carry particular weight and responsibility in doing that. The fourth thing is that deacons are role-specific ministry mobilizers. That's a snappy... <laughs> These are actually Richard's titles, so you can blame him. Deacons are role-specific ministry mobilizers. Uh, people we're identifying as deacons have clear areas of responsibility. 
clear areas of responsibility in church life, specific ministry areas. And that's one of the reasons why we appoint deacons 12 months at a time, because the responsibilities that deacons carry might might change, or they might come to an end, and people might step out of that role. So we recognize 12-month service in specific areas of ministry, and those who are recognized as deacons help to build and lead teams which serve in those specific areas of ministry. I imagine that in this story in Acts 6, the seven were appointed, but we're talking in a massive church, thousands of people. So I imagine that those seven were pretty soon recruiting other teams with all kinds of other servants and leaders involved to get the job done. That's what deacons are called to do. And then fifthly, deacons spot tangible needs and protect and promote unity. Deacons are people who are proactive in dealing with need. The uh, church in Jerusalem said, we need some help. Let's recognize these seven. They then proactively got on with fixing the problem. And and the real danger that we see in this Acts 6 story was, well, the presenting problem was that there was a group of people who weren't being cared for that were going hungry. That's a problem, especially if you're one of those widows. If you're not getting fed, that is a problem. But the real problem in terms of the church, the deeper problem, was the potential of disunity. That this was a church which was characterized by its unity and disunity was being sown because there was a a gap coming because of cultural difference which meant that one group was getting overlooked. And what the appointment of the seven did was to fix the unity problem. It kept the congregation together. And it did that by practically serving these widows and caring for them. And so what we're looking for in our deacons is those who spot tangible needs, move towards them, fix them in a way which helps keep the unity of the church. So having explained all that, uh, what I want to do now is to propose those who we would like to recognize as deacons for the next 12 months in uh, Gateway Church. And then in three weeks' time, Sunday the 26th, Uh, We'd like to get them up and to pray for them. And in doing that, what we're doing is both recognizing who they are and how they're already serving, because these people are already serving in in these roles, but also wanting to authorize them to say, we are looking for a fresh empowering of the Holy Spirit to be upon you for the things that you are doing. Um, So that seems to be what happened in Acts 6, it says they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So these people who are recognized in Acts 6, presumably were, they were the obvious candidates, but there was a recognition and an authorizing of them, and that's what we want to do as well. Now, over the next three weeks, what we'd love is if you could speak to Paul or to John or to myself, there's the three elders here, um, about who we're proposing. It'd be great to hear you affirm uh, say, yeah, this is great. We think we really recognize these people. We do have these. We gave this out just before the end of the year. Just a note to say, a way to encourage people. There's a bunch of these on the shelf over there. It'd be great you could actually write it, some affirmation of those we're proposing or speak to one of us. Uh, or if you've got any questions, speak to Paul or John and myself as well. And we'll be very happy to talk about that. But what I want to do now is to get those who we are proposing as deacons to stand up and to say why we are proposing them as deacons. So if you can stand up when I call your name and stay standing up for the whole caboodle. So first of all, Carlos and Becky Bertrand, stand up. 
So Carlos and Becky lead in pastoral care in the church. They're involved in so many lives in our church. And Carlos and Becky do a great job of releasing the elders to do what we need to do. Not least because so many of you know that you can go and speak to Carlos and Becky. And it might be even at times that for whatever reason you don't feel, there might be something you want to talk about or discuss. And you might not feel comfortable coming to me or to John or to Paul for whatever reason, but you know you can go to Carlos and Becky and you can talk to them. And you know that they carry authority in church life. So they have this uh, particular role of pastoral care in the church, which releases us as elders. They, of course, also have a specific area of ministry, and they're leading our kids' ministry, which is uh, really the biggest department, to call it that, in church life. Uh, 40 or 50 uh, kids in our kids' work, Sunday by Sunday, here at uh, Alder Road. And also, Becky is a staff member, and she has a really cool... Cool? A cool role, yes, a cool role. <laughs> a key role, a cool key role in uh, helping us do all that we do. So um, it's not just an admin task that Becky does in the office. She really is helping to release us in the ministry of the word. So we want to recognize Carlos and Becky as deacon. Next person who's not here because she's out with the kids is Hannah Pavey. Stay standing, I said. Come on, Becky. Uh, <coughs> Uh, Hannah's also on staff as a, our youth worker, and she leads and pastors our young people, and she does that actually put across both our congregations here at Alder Road and at 502. And our young people are a vital demographic for us. It's so important that we do invest in our teenagers. And what Hannah does is often an unseen area of ministry and church life. Unless you've got teenage kids, you're probably even not, not aware it's going on a lot of the time but has a big impact upon the kind of church that we are. Next person we would like to propose is Donna Ashton. It's Donna here. It's Donna here this morning. Matthew. Uh, Donna uh, gives strategic oversight to our Gatehouse initiative, which is uh, our way of showing compassion to those in need, showing a place of hospitality. And she also is a staff member, and she has a particular releasing role in that and that she part of her role is to be my assistant. there's loads of stuff that she does which helps me to be then freed up for the other stuff which I need to do then people who are here Stephen Catherine Hunter has Catherine gone out now oh, she's out on you it's these servants it's terrible <laughs> uh, so Stephen Catherine alongside Liam and Prisca Flint stand at 502 leading our student and 20s ministry and again this is an absolutely essential area of ministry for us as a church, we, it's an area we want to see God's blessing in more. Uh, it's an area we know we're not as strong as we should be. We know that if we don't have 20s in the church now, then we won't have people in their 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s in the years to come. Uh, so there's this chain we want to see of great kids' work, good youth ministry, effective ministry to those who are students in 20s as well. And so uh, Steve and Catherine are helping with that. They also have a particular role. They offer hospitality practically to so many people, and they are key pastoral weight bearers. Increasingly, as elders, we'll say to Stephen and Catherine, can you help us with this situation? And they do that. And also, they're very involved with Oasis, our ministry to those who've experienced domestic violence and abuse. Which leads to Hayley Stevens over there. Hayley, who is again on staff with us, and she leads Oasis, which is our ministry to those who've experienced domestic violence and abuse. So in terms of serving the poor, those in need, in many ways, Hayley's got the 
the clearest brief on that on anybody in, in, our, in our staff and wider leadership team because serving those, uh, mainly women, a few men, but those who have experienced real difficulty, hardship in their lives, it's a key, key mercy ministry. And then finally, Sam McGinley. Sam, I think, is down with kids. Oh, there he is. No, he is. He's there. Thank you, Sam. So Sam is chair of trustees, which is a really important role. Uh, it's a vital role in terms of how we are organized as a church, making sure that we're doing everything financially, charitably, legally, as we should. Uh, but more than just carrying that responsibility, Sam is increasingly a, a, a trusted voice to many of us. And again, somebody that we as elders would often lean on and other people in the congregation would lean on. He really functions as a, as a counselor in many ways to many of us and shoulders in that sense a significant degree of pastoral responsibility in church life. So, these are the people we'd like to propose and recognize as deacons. Carlos and Becky, Hannah, Donna, Stephen, Catherine, Haley, and Sam. I commend them to you. You can sit down now, Becky. So in three weeks' time, uh, unless anybody's revealed something horrific about any of them, <laughs> which I very much doubt, we would love to recognize them and pray for them. And down at Father 2, they'll be doing the same kind of thing. What this, is, what this is all about, it is about an increase of quality, and we trust an increase in quantity. We're looking for God to help us to be better at serving and caring for the flock which is entrusted to us here, and we are looking for us to increasingly grow and expand and see those who don't yet know Christ coming to know him. That's what this is about. That's why we're doing this. Uh, deacons is a strange word. It's a Greek word. It can seem a bit odd to us but it reflects our heart in terms of what we believe God has called us to, the kind of church that we should be, uh, the biblical faithfulness that we adhere to, and, and our desire to see God's people blessed and the lost reached. That's what it's all about. Well, God, I do thank you. Thank you for what you're doing amongst us. I thank you for Gateway. I thank you for the favor we have experienced over the last few weeks as we've started this year. Well, thank you for what you're doing down at Father 2. Well, thank you for that congregation. Thank you for a full room down there. And thank you for all those who are serving and leading and helping making life happen down at Father 2. And well, thank you that you're doing that here at Alder Road as well. Uh, I pray, Lord, that we would be a people who are biblically faithful. And this would be a church where uh, practical needs are met and where we are. Uh, looking to see you break out in, in salvation power to draw others in, that many might be added to our number for the glory of God, for our good, for your witness to this town. Lord, even as, we've, as uh, Vicky talked about, walking the streets of BCP and praying, Lord, we do across our, our town, Lord, we want to see your, your name lifted up. Lord, we do I pray for us, I pray for every other gospel-preaching, Jesus-loving church in this town. Lord, I thank you for those hundred Iranians at Lansdowne. Lord, thank you for other signs of your favor. We pray, Lord, that you would move in power in our day in this place. And that what we're, and that what we're doing in, in recognizing deacons might somehow wonderfully uh, help push that mission and dream forward. In your name we ask it, Jesus. Amen. <laughs>